this is your friendly neighborhood podcast about living in Iraq. Where we both lived for combined 11 years. That's right. So we know all the things. Except for the things we bring in the guests for. So today we're going to talk about the educational system in Iraq. Um, kind of about how public schools are run and then how the private school that we taught in is also run. And there are other private schools, but all of the private schools are also kind of controlled by the government. Yeah, I mean, the Ministry of Education definitely has a lot of rules and regulations and and standards and, you know, it's hard to say exactly where all of that falls with the concept of control. Right. Um, which always made introducing someone to the private school kind of interesting because they there's not that concept here in the U.S., that the U that the U.S. government really is super involved with like the curriculum choices of public schools, especially or the details of how things are graded, right, right, or what color of pen you use mm-hmm. on your diplomas, right, <laughs> or like when when you can give report cards and how often it needs to be done and how often you can give tests and right. whether or not you can give more than one test in a day. Mm-hmm. I feel like we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves. Right. So, yeah. But that's kind of groundwork laid for the way that the school that we worked in, the Mead school, is like there are things about it that were frustrating that weren't the way that the school would ideally be run, but not because the people in charge of the school wouldn't run it that way, but because the government of Kurdistan had rules and regulations. That right. And some of them weren't skirt. even necessarily bad things. They're just not the way Americans would choose to do things. There are right. a lot of cultural differences as well. Mm-hmm. And so some things didn't always make sense to us. Right. And that's all part of the like cultural adjustment is realizing the things that you can't fix and won't change because they're coming from the top down and things that are just like personality differences. So I guess probably the biggest difference, the biggest thing that is different about the Iraqi school system is the focus on memorization. Oh, yeah. I mean... Which I feel like is true in a lot of places in the world, not just Iraq. That mm -hmm. education is the ability to memorize and regurgitate what your teacher has said or what the book that you're reading has said. Yeah, definitely. Um, Where kind of the Western mindset has the, like, we want you to actually, like, learn and understand and... Engage with the material. Take it into your life. Learn learn life lessons from history or math or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. much more integrated. Um, And I feel like I have read a lot of things about both sides of that and the pluses and minuses on both sides. Mm -hmm. Not having a strong memorization culture is part of the reason that math skills in the U.S. aren't great. Right. Because a lot of math is straight memorization of rules. You have to know the rules to be able to apply them. Mm -hmm. But, of course, then you run into the problem of not being able to actually apply those rules. Right. I know that even for our students who were taught uh, Arabic class in much the same way as the local public schools because Mm -hmm. we didn't come in and change that curriculum, um, that there were kids who, because they grew up speaking Kurdish, 
were trying to learn Arabic or were maybe not trying to learn Arabic, but basically just memorized the squiggles on the page that they were told to memorize and then could reproduce those squiggles without having any understanding of the words or the content of what they Mm -hmm. had memorized. Yeah. Which feels impossible to me. (laughs) It feels like way more work. Right, it does. It feels like way more work. Like, that's just not... And I guess because I'm Western, it's not how my brain works that I'm aware of. Maybe it maybe it does. Maybe it could if you haven't practiced more. It. Yeah. yeah. They have the incredible ability to memorize huge swaths of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had um two kids that were part of a poetry contest where they had to recite poetry mm-hmm. um in English and I was trying to help them prep for it and I mean, they were pretty fluent English speakers, and so most of what I was doing was helping them with, like, the inflection and where to put the emphasis and how to recite it in a way that was beautiful, because they memorized their poems, like, in a snap. Like, I gave them (laughs) three or four options, and I was like, okay, choose two and memorize them, and I'll talk to you on Monday and we'll practice them. Friday and Saturday they had off and so I guess it was Sunday that I had them recite for me and I was like you memorized like a 12 stanza poem over a weekend over a weekend that's impossible (laughs) um so yeah it is pretty impressive but you also run into things where they don't do well with essay questions right Because a lot of essay questions are give your opinion or share your thoughts on. um, Or connect multiple different ideas together in some way. Right. And you actually have to understand the thought processes and what's going on in that story or that historical event to be able to compare and contrast it with something else. Right. Yeah, compare and contrast was really kind of a difficult concept. Because they're, they wanted one answer. And it was like, it's not... But there's not just one possible right answer. There are a multitude of right answers. And it's about, like, building your argument well. And, um, and I think that's yeah. one thing I liked about teaching logic was you kind of got to combine the memorization part with the, like, thinking, processing part. Yeah. And be like, look, you do. You need these facts, yes. But you also need to be able to put them together in a way that is reasonable. And I feel like teaching that class taught me a lot about the culture. And like, anyway, it's a little (laughs) bit off topic. But um, yeah, memorization, man. And you don't want to... I felt like I wanted to teach my kids how to think. But I also didn't want to discount the fact that they were really good memorizers. Right. And so when I wrote tests, I tried to have a balance of both. Like, Mm -hmm. memorize these facts, but also know how to use these facts in a different way. And exams are hugely important to them. Yes. Um, A lot of, I think, what they're used to, or culturally, you know, the other teachers, even, you know, the other teachers at the Mead School who had grown up in the Iraqi Mm. public school system, you know, were used to the idea that you have a list of questions, and you give those questions to your students, and they memorize the questions and the answers, and then you give them, you know, maybe some of those questions on the test, and they write the exact right answer exactly the way that 
you had it and Mm -hmm. they turn it in and then they get a good mark because having a good mark is all that matters. Right. Right. Because it doesn't matter if they understand the material, if their grades can be really, really good. And that's for a lot of reasons. Um, And this gets more into like the nuts and bolts of the education system. What your grade is kind of determines what you do with your life. Yeah. In a way that is not true in the U.S. I mean, your entire social status and wealth and everything is determined pretty much by your grades. Mm -hmm. So they take this big exam in either their junior or their senior year of high school. Usually in the senior senior year. Yeah. And their grade on that exam, everyone in the whole country takes the same exam and then all of the grades of all of the kids are kind of like put all together in a giant in database. A giant database. And if you have the top 10%, like they determine what the highest score is, um, the highest average score, or maybe the highest score. And if you're in like the top 10%, which could vary from year to year, but if you're in the top 10%, you can go to college for anything you want to. You can go to medical school, you can go to whatever. Yeah, engineering, pharmacy. You have free choice. And then as you get lower and lower in the percentages, there are less and less avenues opened to you as far as what you can even pursue a degree in. Right. Like, not that those colleges won't take you, but that the government won't allow you to pursue that degree because Mm -hmm. you're less likely to succeed at it, I guess, is the thinking. The idea, yeah. And so, you know, if you take that test and get a middling grade, you may be able to go to school to be, like... Teacher. A teacher or an interior designer or something that's considered, like, not high quality work required. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's kind of that mindset that every exam up to that point, they take your big exam grade and, like, your high school standings as well and they kind do? of combine them. They didn't yeah. used to. They do. They look at both of those things in combination Oh wow! to determine. That's changed then. So not only do you have to do really, really well on that exam, but you also should be, like, the top of your class if you want to become a doctor. you got to be the top of your class. And so basically, everyone ends up going into a college degree that is the highest possible status that they can get into with their grades. And so what that student may or may not prefer and enjoy is pretty much irrelevant. I mean, I know a girl who was a brilliant writer, loved writing, very intelligent, did excellently, passed with flying colors. Her parents wanted her to become a doctor because she could. Mm-hmm. And they knew that for the rest of her life, anyone who sees her is going to know, oh, she's a doctor. She's smart. She scored well. Right. Whereas if she had chosen to do English or writing or something else that's at a lower level, mm-hmm. people would assume that she had that level of intelligence, right. I guess. There's such a, a social pressure to do well, mm-hmm. um, to be someone who is seen as smart or seen as clever. Clever, yeah, is the word that they use. Um, that I had high school freshmen that if they didn't do well on their midterm exams would flip out. Mm-hmm. And there was part of me that's like, you are a freshman. Your grade on a midterm exam your freshman year 
really should not be this important. But there's so much societal pressure to, like, become a doctor mm-hmm. or an engineer or something high up, mm-hmm. highly educated like that, a scientist of some kind. And if you ask a group of high school students what they want to be, almost all of them will say they want to be a doctor because that is the thing that is, like, the top occupation that you could get. Right. Do any of them actually care about science or taking care of people? Maybe a few of them. Probably some, but... But not all of them. Yeah. You know, the other option was always a football star. Oh, yeah. I got a lot of those. That one, (laughs) it's kind of a different category. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so there's a lot of pressure on the students to do Mm -hmm. really well. To Um, the point where parents or, you know, friends of that student, if they don't do well on something, will come and ask you to help them, mm -hmm. by which they mean change their grade. Yeah, which is, that's almost a whole different podcast (laughs) to talk about that. Yeah, we can get into Um, that one later. (laughs) There's a little bit of WASTA involved in that as well. Definitely. Um, But it means that, like, some kids will purposefully fail that end-of-year exam Mm -hmm. so so that they can retake it the next year with what they hope is a less academic group so that their standings may go up. Or so they can spend a year studying and cramming Mm -hmm. and preparing themselves without having to worry about also going to school. Most of... The seniors, not in the mean school that I knew, like my neighbor's uh, daughter and stuff, they spent all of their time working on memorizing stuff mm-hmm. for the baccalaureate exam, that mm-hmm. senior exam. There was so much pressure that mm-hmm. their entire life depended on how well they did on this one test. Yeah. And that was an interesting thing to try to shift, even among the understanding with the Mead School, because um, for a while when I was there, exams, as far as like end of the year grades, exams were worth 70%. Like that final exam mm-hmm. was worth 70% of your grade. And all of the tests and homework that you did throughout the semester was worth 30% of your grade. Right. We managed through lots of convincing and work to get them to switch those. Mm-hmm. So that final exam grade was only worth 30% of their overall year grade, and then their homework and other tests were worth 70%. But I remember one of our our new staff coming in and being like, how can the test, the final, one final test, be worth so much of their grade? And we're like, you have no idea how much we fought to get it Mm -hmm. to be that way, because for most of the schools and the way, you know, even that baccalaureate program runs, that final test is everything. Right. Right. And... Because of that, kids will neglect doing their homework or doing well on their year's work and only focus on studying for the exam because that's the only thing they needed to do well in. Right, they could pass if they could get... When those things got switched, there was kind of this, like, stir among the students of, like, what? What? Like, I don't understand why I'm not doing well. You didn't turn in any homework. That's why you're not doing well. And the idea that their learning was actually going to be better. Like, even their ability to do that test at the end was going to be better if they studied over time and didn't wait till the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, some of the kids picked up on that oh, yeah. and were like, oh, wait, this is actually better. Yeah, yeah. They figured the system out. Less eventually. stress. Yeah. So much less stress. There's definitely uh, an emphasis, too, on 
well, because everybody wants to be a doctor, math and science. Yeah. Well, and they are also the easier ones to memorize for. Right. And and so they're the subjects that matter. Mm-hmm. In high school, you couldn't teach a math or science class unless you had a degree in math or science, mm-hmm. which means that I never got to teach math or science, which probably is better off for everyone. <laughs> I did teach biology for two weeks as a substitute teacher, and I did have a lot of fun teaching biology yeah. as a change for me. But I don't, I don't think I would have liked the pressure of teaching a high school science course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think... felt stressed out enough teaching the soft classes of literature and art. English does hold a certain amount of prominence as well, though. Sure. I know, although it's not always, again, if it's taught entirely with memorization in mind, mm-hmm. you can end up with some pretty exciting adventures. Um, right. I once, being corrected in class. Being correct. Or coming across, you know, a test that was given in one of the public schools um, by your neighbor and being asked to help her her figure out what she did wrong or how to study for something and you get the sample question it's a multiple choice you look at the question and you can't figure out what the answer is right even though you speak english you're like native tongue (laughs) um well i think there's not enough information in this question to answer this or Three out of four of these answers are potentially correct. But being able to use the English sometimes wasn't as important as having the right answer. Yes. Yeah, I remember getting, reading, I think it was The Hobbit, and having to explain to them the accents of the trolls, because they don't (laughs) use good English. And, like, it's kind of a literary tool that Tolkien is using Mm -hmm. um, to point out kind of the ignorance of the trolls. But my students being like, you can't write like that. (laughs) Like, that is terrible grammar. And, like, why would he put that in a book? Um, And it was like, okay, well, we're going to talk about this. Yeah, and kids just being like, no, like, the rules are the rules. Which is funny to me because they don't necessarily apply that to other parts of life. Right. (laughs) Rules are meant to be broken for other things, but apparently not for English. Well, certainly not for anything where you need to have the right answer for your exam. Yes, true. I mean, if that gets all wiggly, then suddenly your Mm -hmm. entire foundation is gone and you can't get a good score. Yeah. There's also this kind of lean of English, not English as a language, but like literature, reading made-up stories about other cultures that aren't their culture. Mm -hmm. That it was like, why should I read this book? Why does it matter? Why should I study art? Why should I study the history of art? Like, Mm -hmm. those things aren't important. And talking through with your students why we study those things and why it matters And kind of laying the groundwork for making them care about a class that doesn't seem important. Which is always kind of fun, because I was always really excited about, like, I like that question, too. Like, why does this matter? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, So it was fun for me to really, like, dig into literature or art and be like, this is why these things are important. Yeah. I remember some similar conversations about history and humanities and and why do we care what these you know dudes fought a battle over hundreds of years ago in another part of the world Mm -hmm. 
But because there's kind of this focus on grades, there's not a school culture of making learning enjoyable. Or interactive. Or interactive, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so classrooms tend to be very austere, I guess, (laughs) is the best way to put it. Like, Mm -hmm. there are desks, and there is a whiteboard, and there are markers for the whiteboard, and that's pretty much it. I look at classrooms here in the U.S. and, like, all the decorations that get put up and the posters and, like... Sometimes it goes a little too far. (laughs) Having a theme for your room, and I'm just like, I never taught that way. Because if you put, like, I would make... I think I talked about I made a huge map of Middle Earth Mm -hmm. and put it up in my room and, like, spent weeks making this thing and, like, doing the pathways of all the different characters and where they go throughout the book. And I put it up, and my students were just like, this is the coolest thing ever. I mean, it was the coolest thing (laughs) ever. It (laughs) was. But then being told that I had to take it down anytime I gave a quiz because the kids could use it to cheat. And I was like, they can't, but they can't. Like, I'm not asking, not asking questions. questions about where people went. Like, they can't cheat using this and just being told, nope, you gotta take it down. I did convince them finally to let me leave it up until the f- midterm exams. Mm-hmm. And then I took it down. Yeah, anytime I made anything, like I made maps for other classes too and different things that were like visual aids Mm -hmm. it was kind of like but why are you spending your time on this yeah you did this at home Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. and heaven forbid you play an educational game Ooh, that's kind of a waste of class time which is a mindset that is changing partly because our american teachers keep playing educational games (laughs) and they work well and they work well and But yeah, I think part of it is an understanding, like, of education that's different, but also there's an aspect of it that's practical. Most schools are run six days a week with half-day shifts, and they cram as many kids into that room as they can get. And so there's the idea that a classroom's function is a temperature-controlled, lit room full of desks that fit the exact number of kids you need to fit in there. Mm -hmm. And so the desks go all the way to the walls and all the way to the back and all the way up to the front, sometimes without a good amount of aisle space. I remember we had to argue for for aisles so that, you know, teachers can move throughout the classroom and and watch the kids well and, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, It's also practicality. I mean, a lot of Iraqis don't have the same... I guess, wealth of space and resources that we take for granted here in the U.S. Yeah, Yeah, and again, that led to some rigidity as far as, like, you didn't group desks together like you do in the U.S., where you have, like, these little islands of desks. We even tried in one classroom to make it semicircular, Mm -hmm. amphitheater-style seating, and we're basically told that we weren't allowed, like... The Ministry of Education would not allow us to put desks in that form. Yeah. You like, could. they had to be in rows, mm-hmm. because that is how children learn. And it was just kind of like, <laughs> I can't fight with you about this, but I really want to. Yeah. Um, but really, you can't, you can't fight everything that's different. It's true. You have to work within the system that you've been yes, given. it is. And, and that is frustrating, but... It also, I felt like, made me more creative as a teacher. Yeah. As far as, like, 
okay, how am I going to abide by this rule but still be able to get done what I want to get done? Mm-hmm. Still create in the environment that I want to try to create. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, like you, I did a lot of making my own maps and putting them up or other cultural things, blankets and, you know, different curtains or or some sort of seating chart rearrangements mm-hmm. and, you know, different stuff like that to try to make my time as engaging as possible, even if it wasn't what I would normally think of doing in the U.S. Right. And sometimes you chose, it is worth the class time to make everyone move their desks around so that we can do some group things and then have them move them all back before Mm -hmm. the next teacher comes in. Yeah, you choose the things that matter and, and spend your time on that. I think the biggest thing I ever did was whiteboard size map of Europe. Ooh. So that we could play this game called Diplomacy. Uh-huh. It t- it was a project that I worked on over the summer because I was like, I have to make this portable and so it can't be like too big. I have to have the ability to move like place pieces on it yeah. so that they will stay but so that they're not permanent. And then I have to make all the pieces. And then, like, there was one other thing that I was just kind of like, okay, this is going to take me, like, a lot of planning to get done. And then I did it. And I have students that still talk to me about, like, that game and how the things that they learned in that game they are applying in college. And I'm Mm -hmm. just like, yes, a teacher success. (laughs) It was such a pain to do, but it was worth it. It was. Worth it it in the end. There's also the struggle that because... At least for the Mead School, a lot of the curriculum came from the U.S. It all was shipped from the U.S., which meant that sometimes you started the school year without books. Books. (laughs) Yeah, a little problem. There are a lot of resources online. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you have electricity, you can photocopy things. Yes. Like chapters of books. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we have bought this book, but today we do not have chapters one and two. So you get chapters one and two photocopied. Yay! It's a good thing there aren't copyright laws in Iraq. Because um, <laughs> we not, definitely would have broken all of them. I don't think we broke all of them. Uh, many of them. I think that's the thing you have to remember. Um, the mindset you kind of have to have to teach there is that it's not going to be what you expect. And mm-hmm. so every day is an adventure and every day is different and... And as much as, you know, even there is called an American school, Mm. it's not. Right. It's not. It's an Iraqi school. It's a school that has to live by the rules that are set up there. And if that means that, you know, you have to refill out a whole bunch of forms because the Ministry of Education requires them to be signed in green pen, Mm -hmm. then you do it. Because that's the school you work for. I will say that they are an improvement on the public schools, Mm -hmm. for sure. Absolutely. And our kids, they read things like Pride and Prejudice, their freshman Mm -hmm. year of high school, which is a college literature book for people who study English in college. Right. And And our kids only take a couple months to read it, and the college students take all year. Or um, the Odyssey or the Iliad. Which aren't books that I even ever read in high school. Really? Yeah. But yeah, and the ability to help students think through things and kind of be part of changing that mindset of what education is and what it means. That's one of the things that I ended up loving as much as sometimes I hated (laughs) that you're pushing back almost constantly as a teacher on mindsets 
Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I really loved was watching students go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have put those things together, but now I did. And yeah, I love that about teaching. I did not love teaching kids how to take the SAT, though. Yeah, that's the test that the main school kids use kind of instead of the state baccalaureate. And it's a different, it's a horse of a different color, as it were. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of thinking skills in that and Mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of weird cultural stuff in there, too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you run across and you're like, oh, wait. Even the strategy for taking the test is different because the SAT doesn't expect you to answer every single question, but it expects you to answer the questions that you do answer to get correct. And that is not, like, the idea of skipping a question. Ooh. You don't do, like, there were so many kids that I was like, it's fine, skip it. If you don't know it, skip it. Go on to the next question. You can come back to it later, or you can just not answer it. And it was like, no, you have to answer every (laughs) single question. Even if you don't know, you should still guess. And it was like, no, please don't do that. Not on this test. Not on this on test. Normally on your tests at in high school, yes. But not on this test. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a challenge to teach a completely different, yeah, system. And something that's different from anything they've ever, ever done before. Mm-hmm. And trying to convince them to do a practice test or to not freak out if they don't do well the first time they take the SAT right? because they can take it again. And it is so, so, so different that, of course, they're not going to do well the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be mm-hmm. surprising if they did well the first time. Yeah. Even with two semesters of classes on how to take the SAT. It's the first time I've ever... I ever realized that it is a skill to fill out a form correctly. Those bubble forms. Man. I never realized how difficult it was. Like, I guess they start teaching that in elementary school. They do. They do. It's a challenge for the kids. All those details. That have to be, like, precise. And exactly correct. Otherwise, like, your test is just lost to the ether. Mm Mm-hmm. Your test and all the money you spent on it. And no, I cannot call up the SAT people in America and convince them to let you take the test even though you did everything wrong. That's not (laughs) how it works. I had to have a student with me in the room on speakerphone with this person in order for them to be able to believe that I could not do what they were asking me to do. You're like, I'm not just being mean or harsh. I literally cannot accomplish this Mm -hmm. task. Right. I'm not a relative of yours. I'm not, like, I don't know this person. They don't know me. There's only so much I can do, and I have just done it. Sorry. (laughs) Education is important. It matters. Every day. Uh, I feel like we should also let our listeners know that we're going to have one more episode this season and then yeah. we're taking a break because For the holidays christmas and thanksgiving there's all that travel in there mm-hmm. it makes it very hard for us to like sit down in a soundproof room together yeah for sure <laughs> uh, and we are dedicated to bringing you high quality content <laughs> and so you know we don't want to just sit in a crowded room give you lots of background noise i don't know where i was going with that i don't know either anyway that's okay um so we're gonna have one more episode and then we're gonna take a break for 
a couple maybe, months. Maybe maybe in January we'll be back. And the next one is Annoying American Habits. Yeah. So be prepared to have your world rocked a little bit if you're an and American. And feel really offended because you do all these things. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but that time is also a great time for you to send in questions that you have. Um, you can email them to me. My email address is hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at servantgroup.org. If you have questions or if you have a topic that you'd like for us to cover, that's a great time um, to email us because we'll have some time to actually like process those things and set up our next season's worth of episodes. Yeah. I mean, we got plenty more to talk about, but we want to talk about what you want to hear. Let us know. Uh, you can also contact us through Facebook and all those things that are at the end of the podcast always. There are there are Easter eggs at the very, very end that I feel like don't get listened to sometimes. So stick around for the very, very end. I'm trying to be funny and I need to feel appreciated. <laughs> You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram or on our website at servantgroup.org. Yeah, and if you have a question that we haven't answered yet, send us an email or Facebook message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm so classically educated. <laughs> Sorry. I remember trying to read them to read Ovid. Is that one? Ovid. Of them? Ovid. It's, a, it's, it's completely different. Yeah. I remember trying to read that in high school and being like, I don't get this. This is ridiculous. That's okay. See you later. Nobody gets off it.